Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation and the world. Glad you could join us today for I know it's going to be another stimulating conversation. So organizational culture has undergone a seismic shift in the 21st century, if you haven't noticed, (laughs) and with it, the requirements of leadership. So in a compelling new book called Building the Best, Eight Proven Leadership Principles to Elevate Others to Success, my guest today, John Eads, the CEO of LearnLoft, takes you on a journey of transformation that will equip you with the tools you need to become the kind of cutting edge leader today's workplace so urgently needs. So now for the next 40 minutes, John is gonna take us on a journey to equip us with some of those tools from his new book, and I'm excited to have him on the show. So who is John Eads? Well, as I mentioned, he is the CEO of LearnLoft, a leadership development company that exists to turn managers into leaders. John was named a 2017 LinkedIn top voice in management and workplace. He's a speaker and his writing has reached millions of readers. He's also the renowned host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Follow My Lead podcast, where he's interviewed today's top influencers. And I was privileged enough to have once been on John's podcast. So, John, it's an honor to welcome you to the Love in Action podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Marcel. Me too, John. So I always start with a gratitude moment, and that is what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? This morning was extra special. We had our book launch event last night, and we had 100 people there to help welcome this book into the world. And I woke up with the biggest smile on my face, Marcel, maybe I've ever had, not because of me or the book, but I tell people all the time, you usually get two days in your life where the people that you want to be there the most are there. The first is the day you get married and which is a fantastic day. You have all these people. And then the second is your funeral. And you're not there. And I felt really privileged last night to get a third day in my life, to have all the key people that have poured into me, that have made an impact on my journey in the same room to help celebrate this book. And so I woke up today with the biggest smile on my face I've ever woken up with. So that's the easy answer today. I love that. So I've been following your work for a while. and But for those of us that uh, aren't familiar with what you do, what would you say is your why? Well, it goes like this. I had always thought I had some leadership DNA Mm. and I've gotten my first opportunity to lead a team. And at the time I thought leadership was about power and title and money and influence and and being a puppet master of some kind. And that's exactly how I led when I got the first opportunity to lead a team and it went horribly wrong. It went really bad, as you might imagine. And I decided to let one of my team members go, Marcel. And she said to me at the end of that meeting, she said, John, I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what we were doing. And I didn't know how I was helping us get there. Mm. And it just crushed me, man. (laughs) Jocko Willink famously said, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. And I was living proof of that. 
Yeah. And in that moment, after she left my office, I said, God, I don't know why that just happened, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not let that happen to other people. And so my purpose, my why I exist, it came from that hardship of failing as a leader. And so I tell people all the time, I exist to turn professionals into leaders and create healthier places to work. That's why I do what I do every day. Yeah. And so it's also the mission of our organization. Great. So let's skim the surface a bit on the book and then uh, drill down. How would you describe your book, Building the Best? It is a collection of stories, principles, and best practices to help elevate the way that you lead. It's got tools. It's, it's about application. Uh, yes, we need stories to change our hearts and our mind to be in the right place for to change any behavior. But it, that's not where it ends. There's a guy named Dr. Miles Monroe Marcel, and he said, there's a big difference in knowledge and comprehension and wisdom. And wisdom is all about application. And so what we're trying to do in all of our work, and particularly in this book, is not just to transfer the stories, but can we help you go apply these things in the way that you lead every single day? And that's what this book is all about. Mm, okay. So right off the bat, as I was reading it, this jumped out at me and I knew I had asked. You said the most effective leaders who elevate others lead with high levels of, and here it goes, love and discipline. Explain. I met a guy named John Gordon, who I'm sure you're familiar with, years ago, and I was really drawn to his message. And he was working with the Clemson football team. And I had grown up a big Clemson fan, and I was obsessed with this guy named Dabo Sweeney, who was the head coach at Clemson, still is. And he took this average football program, and he created this powerhouse. And he's just a leadership beast. And I got a chance to spend some time with John at a Clemson football game. And I said, John, what does this guy do? How does he do it? And he said, I've never seen a leader use love and discipline like this. Mm. And I said, man, I don't know. As a parent, as a leader that leads my own team at work, those words just stuck out to me. And I said, do you mind if we do some research based on this? He said, I would love for you to. And so the first thing we did is we, we defined these two terms because it's really important in the workplace that we define them because they're both very misunderstood. Yeah. Love, what it means is to contribute to someone's long-term success and well-being. It's not any kind of HR violation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can you repeat that again? We got to hear it again. It's to contribute to someone's long-term success mm-hmm. and well-being. Okay. It's to will the good of another, Marcel. Yeah. Like, can you be about that? And that is so key. But if that's all we do and we don't put discipline around it, then we might not elevate someone to the level of the potential that they're actually capable of. And so discipline often just as misunderstood. Yeah. It's defined as to promote standards in order for an individual to choose to be at their best. Mm. You as a leader can't choose for your people. What you can do is set a really high bar or standards and help coach and develop them and help them reach or exceed it. If they choose not to, then we go hold them accountable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, you know, those two terms are so important because we need to use both of them at really high levels. And when you do that, you really can unlock someone's potential and elevate the way that they perform and as a human being. Wow, I could take this so many different directions, but here's my train of thought. So you actually measure both love and discipline. You were able to actually create an assessment tool, right? You want to tell us about how you measure? Let's start with love. How do you measure love? (laughs) It's a good question. Well, I think it starts with 
it was a great hypothesis that this is what the best leaders do. It's another thing to put some real research behind it. Yeah. And so to this point, we've done 40,000 assessments of leaders from every different level of an organization, from the CEO down to a leader on the front lines. And there is a consistent pattern that the highly effective leaders use high levels of love and discipline the way that they lead. And those that perform poorly use low levels of love and discipline in the way that they lead. So it's really important to know that there is a business case here for this style of leadership. We typically see in our research about a 14% increase in high performers on the job, an 18% decrease in employee engagement when you don't. And so 18% increase in employee engagement. And at the end of the day, what, what we're seeing here is leaders that elevate others, that use high levels of love and discipline they get better business results mm. on a, a, not a small scale of research, Marcel. And so there's a business case just like servant leadership yeah. to lead this way. Yeah. Now on the flip side of that, can you get into the sort of the, maybe the, some of the core competencies as a way to gauge, you know? Yeah. So what we did is we measured 16 key leadership competencies that we saw in these leaders, um, which sounds like a lot, but we've boiled it down to eight in love and eight in discipline. And as you might expect, things like vision, things like goal oriented, you know, some core competencies, accountability, these things on both sides of the equation that it's important that all leaders dig into and be aware of. So yeah. there's a free assessment your people can go take. It, you can go to building the best book assessment or learnloft.com backslash assessment. You can see what leadership style you currently leverage today as a leader. And then there's a full assessment if anybody wants to take that uh, where they can get a report about how they're doing in those areas. I just love the fact that we now have a way to measure love and discipline and those are actual competencies and it's evidence-based. That blows my mind. It's awesome. And I wish I could take all the credit. I can't. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of help in putting it together. And, you know, people want to know that this matters and that there's research behind it. And certainly happy that we can help bring that to the world. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the discipline side. You mentioned sometimes you might have a star player that needs to be benched. How does a leader know when to do that? Well, I think anybody that's been leading for some time, they struggle with people because <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. And when you talk talking about discipline and you think about what that means, one of the hardest things is an individual contributor that doesn't buy in or they beat to their own drum. And that is very difficult as a leader. But mm. when you have a standard set, whatever that means for you, and I'll define this because it's really important. A standard by definition is what good looks like. That's all it is. Yeah. What good looks like. But what we found in our work is that great leaders don't define what good looks like. Great leaders define what great looks like. Mm -hmm. So that bar that they set has to be the same for whoever it is. Yeah. So if you have a star player that isn't meeting that standard, maybe the performance is up, but they're choosing for the values to be down or not a team player or not the right attitude. One of the most important things you can do as a leader is to remove that person from the team. Mm -hmm can be hard because performance matters. We yeah. want to do everything we can to get them to buy into those standards and those values. But there will be a time when sometimes subtracting one key person might get everybody else to perform better. And there's all kinds of examples in sports of that. But those are tough calls for a leader and no one's saying, you know, they're easy. Leadership. Right, right. 
Now, does that equate to you know having a person that is not meeting those standards of love and discipline, especially discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, you set the bar high for your culture. Are you saying that perhaps you have an actively disengaged employee in the Gallup sense that is, uh, you know, walking around sort of like actively sabotaging the workplace and you need to remove that person? Oh, that you definitely need to. (laughs) I mean, to use a sports example, what a lot of leaders do is they simply look at the results. Like, are you putting up the numbers on the scoreboard? Well, if you did that with Mark McGuire in, you know, the mid 90s when he's hitting every home run record and hitting 63 or whatever you end up hitting 70 you know and you only looked at the results you would have thought he was doing everything exceptionally well Mm. but as a leader if you were looking at the the daily behaviors and habits of him and you'd have known that he was cheating the whole time now that gets in another story about baseball and everybody cheating (laughs) but my point here is that if we only look at the results as a leader we get in dangerous territory because people will cut corners to get the results that they think that you want. And then all of a sudden, it's like that this principle from the book. The instant you lower the standard is the instant performance begins to erode. Wow. So think about that, though, Marcel. If I want leaders to be looking at it from what are the daily behaviors, the habits, the self-discipline in their people to know that we can't control the scoreboard. What we can control is the daily behaviors, the daily habits, how well we work with others, the kind of teammate they are, the way they live out our core values. And that's what we want to measure. And if we get a lot of people bought into those things, yeah, yeah, the results will be what we want them to be. And not only that, John, but the discipline part is a way to protect what you've already built as a culture of high performance. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. So in the book, You identify five leadership styles. What are they? The one, a leader that uses low love, low discipline is the manage style of leadership. Uh, Someone that title oriented, poor relationships. It's about them. It's not about their people. Not toxic leaders always, although they could, but they don't really understand what the core purpose of them and their role is. It's not about, it's about their people, not about them, but they think it's about them. A leader that uses high discipline, low love is the rule style of leadership. My way, the highway, not great relationships, but it's black and white. You're either in, you're out, those kinds of things. These leaders can get great results early, but it's really difficult to sustain it, Marcel, because eventually people, they get driven out by the rules. They get worn out by them. Yeah. High love, low discipline is the please style of leadership. This is someone that good people often get passed up for promotions. They don't like to have the tough conversations because in fear of what someone else might feel or think. And then the most common style of leadership is right in the middle. And that's about 47% of all leaders, good, good leaders, but they're just not quite getting to the top level, top style of leadership, which is to elevate. Right, And it's those leaders that get in that high levels of love, high levels of discipline that get the results that we want. Like I say, you could plug those leaders in anywhere, any company, they're going to elevate others and the performance eventually is going to be there. So you have that diagram in your book, you know, the four quadrants and then with the one in the middle that 47% fall into, you want the top right hand corner, which is elevate. That's exactly right. That is high love and high discipline. 
That's right. And yeah. here's what's so critical about these five styles. This is not a personality style assessment or to put you in some kind of box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Leadership is a journey and not a destination, mm-hmm. which means we can grow and we can get better and we can develop our skills and we can move up into the right. Just because you're in the managed style of leadership today doesn't mean you got to stay there. Yeah. One of our students in our programs, I love this story. He got back his assessment um, and his people rated him in a managed style of leadership. And so did he. And after four months, we reassessed him. And you should see the leap that this leader has made. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he's just on a path. He's on a trajectory going up into the right. And I just love that because we all can grow and we all can get better. Yeah. We also can get worse. <laughs> That's right. And I love that we're still talking about competencies here, developing true leadership competencies, which you have assessed and you have validated. John, I'm, I'm really curious because I want to go back to that. So if I want to be an, quote, elevate leader, right, the most effective kind of leader that has high love, high discipline, can you share what some of those competencies are? Yeah, I mean, so in all of that work, you know, when you start looking at how you live this out every single day, I mean, how do I do it? There's 16 of them mm-hmm. uh, and each represent things that you have to do at a high level. And so, you know, we can go through whichever one. Yeah, let's pick like maybe three or four of the top ones for each area. Absolutely. So let's start with accountability. Okay. okay? Because most people think of accountability as this negative thing that we're going to have to really struggle with. But what we found is that another is standards, setting high standards. So if once we set really high standards, once we know what that is ourselves, we have to hold ourselves and we have to hold others accountable to meeting and exceeding that standard. So I like to tell people all the time, accountability isn't only negative. Yeah. Accountability is also acknowledging when standards are met and it's giving praise and recognition when standards are exceeded. Because in all three areas, you're holding your people accountable to the behaviors of the standards that are set to be a part of your team. You could almost relabel your scales. Not that I'm going to do that, but for this sake, I'm going to say it's, it's really love and the discipline is tough love. <laughs> it could be. Yes, okay. that, it could be a really good way to say it. But accountability is just one of them, right? And yeah. The, the one that I really like to highlight because it's where a lot of leaders struggle to have the, what we call a disapproval dialogue. It's hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just uncomfortable with it and they don't go into those conversations prepared and very candidly, it, they go poorly. Yeah. Yeah. So I see elements of radical candor, transparency, authenticity, vulnerability, all those things. Really, I mean, I, I guess they fall in both sides, love and discipline. They absolutely can. You're 100% right. Right. And so what we're trying to do is then not only expose some of these very key things that you have to do at a high level as a leader from a competency perspective, but then we also want to go give them the answers of how to go apply it better. Mm. Because if there's nothing I hate worse, Marcel, than an assessment that then says, this is how you're doing. Good luck. I mean, this is nothing worse. So what we want to then go do is help equip leaders with here's how you go do it better. Yeah. And and that's really what we're all about. How can you practically apply these things in the workplace every single day? Okay. Okay. Give us one love competency real quick. What's one one that uh, somebody listening is like, okay, I need to learn this. 
Well, <laughs> gosh, the whole idea of the love competencies that really stands out to me and the one that I would just highlight the most is trust. Mm-hmm. Because without trust, without really strong relationships that are built on the bond of mutual trust, you can't effectively lead. Yeah. I mean, you could have all the accountability stuff, you can have all the standards, but at the end of the game, it's at the end of the day, it's a relationship game. Mm. There's an old quote I just love. It's rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Mm-hmm. So all this discipline stuff, if we don't have really great relationships with our people, it's everything else goes the other way. And so yeah. I would start with trust. And we had General Robert Caslin on the show, who's just a phenomenal leader. He's now at the University of South Carolina. But he talked a lot about how do you build trust? And there's the trust compound theory that's in the book. But how can you show people you're competent? How can you show them that you care? And if you can get those two big elements of competence and care at the center of, of those relationships will grow and they'll sprout and trust will develop from there. Oh man. So if I could just package that into a little, little sales pitch, competency plus care equals trust. <laughs> I love that. And there's an equation in the book that people want to shortcut relationships and they want trust to be easy, mm. but trust takes time. Yeah. I mean, building really good relationships and building trust base within teams, it takes time. And we've got to be willing to put in the effort. Uh, An old mentor of mine always told me, Marcel, he said, kids spell love (laughs) (laughs) T-I-M-E. Your people do as well. Yeah. You've got to go put in the time to build relationships with people and let that trust grow. Right. And leaders just can't shortchange that. Now, not, we leaders don't spend enough time carving the, like you said, the, the T-I-M-E they need in order to build those, those personal relationships that are going to lend to trust. Mm-hmm. So that is a segue for my next question, which is, this is part of building trust, is how can leaders help their people find purpose in their work? You know, beyond a paycheck, John. Well, one of my favorite stories comes from uh, a company called Movement Mortgage, which is in uh, South Carolina, and they've a very purpose-driven organization. The principle in the book is people persevere because of purpose, not pay. Mm -hmm. People persevere because of purpose, not pay. Yes, money is important, but there's a leader at Movement Mortgage, and she leads a team that creates closing documents at loan time. Day in and day out, it's Groundhog Day, Marcel. Just input data, export data, send the closing documents for closing. I mean, it's not sexy work. But she knew she had to give her team a deeper purpose other than just closing documents. So what she came up with this idea that she would have the loan agents take pictures of the people signing the documents that they created. Mm. And one day she got a picture back from a single mom with her daughter and they were buying their first home and the smile on their faces, man. And when her team saw that, they knew that there was a deeper purpose behind their work than just creating closing documents. So their purpose statement is we make dreams become reality for movement clients. So think about that. Would you rather go to work to create closing documents or to make dreams become a reality? Same work, different purpose. And now all of a sudden, when you're at a Christmas party or you're, what do you do? I make dreams become a reality. I mean, I get excited about that. 
So I think that's one area where leaders, and, it, and I believe it is their responsibility. I think it's their responsibility to understand what is the purpose behind the work that your team does. And you've got to communicate that over and over and over again to your team. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because uh, research speaks so highly of um, giving your employees meaning and purpose by getting them exposed to the process of a customer interaction. Adam Grant wrote in give and take the same thing where he cites research that, uh, I think it was a company that did fundraising and they put some of the customer service reps that were raising money in the environment where they saw what the outcome was of the fundraising for the particular cause that was helping, you know, I don't know what, what it was, whether it was you know, kids and education, but they got to see the end result. Mm-hmm. So that increased the output of the fundraising money increased when the reps were realizing, holy cow, so this is the impact of what we're doing? And they were raising more money as a result of that. So, Yeah, it's phenomenal. And no one is saying money is not important. We got to have good products. We got to deliver. If we don't drive revenue and profitability, we can't do the things that we want to do as a business. So no one's saying it's not. But if it's only tied to money, Marcel, and someone gets a $10,000 offer for more money, they're going to run. But if they're tied to a deeper purpose behind the work, they're going to say, that $10,000, I'm already making 100 whatever, that 10 would be great. But mm-hmm. it's not going to be as purpose-driven work as I'm doing right now. Yeah. And it's not always easy. Yeah. And so we got to give people a deeper purpose behind the work that they do beyond money. That's right. That's right. Okay. Speak to us leaders on the call. Now, I want you to speak truth. Okay. No holds barred here. Just aim right for the right between the eyes here. Okay. What are the core responsibilities of a modern leader today? There's one big one mm. to elevate other people. <laughs> I mean, the leaders that I respect the most and the leaders in this book are ones that elevate other people. And the beautiful part about this whole thing, Marcel, is that it's not only meant for the people and the leaders in this book. It's meant for me and you. It's meant for your listeners that that you're called, and I'm talking to your audience right now, you're called to elevate other people. And the way that you do that and the way it's defined is someone whose actions inspire, empower, and serve in order to elevate others over an extended period of time. That's how we define leadership. Yeah. And it's not meant for just Casey Crawford or Jason Lippert or, you know, all the great coaches that are in this book. It's meant for each and every one of us. Mm. So if you want me to be really real with you, if you break that definition down, those words are chosen very intentionally. The word inspire comes from a Latin word, which means to breathe life into. Inspire, to breathe life into. How many days do you leave work and you feel like your boss sucked the life out of you? Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean work should be easy. I mean, if if you and I did a workout right now, Marcel, we would be tired at the end of it as we should, or it wasn't real work. So no one's saying that you can't be tired and be drained, but we need leaders that realize that you're drained and you're tired and we're going to go breathe new life into you, man. Mm. And I just love that visual. And I'll tell a really quick story. Three years ago in Charlotte, we had riots, a black officer killed a black man and we had riots in our city and it tore me up as a middle-aged white guy. And I decided to write this blog called What Charlotte Needs is Leadership. 
and I was terrified to publish it. You know, the internet can be a rough place. And I finally got the courage to do it. And my phone rang about two minutes later and there's a lady on the other end of the phone and she says, is this John Eads? And I said, maybe, maybe. <laughs> she said, I just read your article. I want to talk to you about it. That lady's name is Connie Hawkins. And for the last three years, that woman has poured into me every single day and encouraged me to keep going. A form of inspiration is encouragement. And one of my mentors always says, everybody's going through something, whether you know it or not. And so what I'm asking your people to do, if you don't know how to inspire somebody else, just encourage them, put life into them, tell them to keep going. We need it. Life's hard. So the first way that I'm going to put it right between your audience's eyes is go find one person today that you can encourage. That's a great way to inspire. That second part of the definition is to empower. Empowerment is all about making decisions, empowering other people to make decisions, to take control of their own life. And, and there is nothing more important that leaders do than to, to help their people make decisions where the information is, as my friend David Marquette says. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really big responsibility of leaders today, which is how do we help our people make decisions for themselves? And most leaders, that's where micromanagers just get crushed. Mm. And the last part of that is serve. Um, and Pat Lencioni, who has been an incredible mentor to me, he says, we shouldn't even call it servant leadership anymore. It should just be called leadership. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Right. You know, serve comes from that word servant. And you've got to understand if you're going to go elevate other people, which is at the core of leadership today, you've got to be willing to serve them and put them first before yourself. And that is really hard because we don't wake up thinking about other people. We mm. wake up thinking about ourselves. If we put a picture up right now of Marcel and a group of 20 people, where's your eyes going to go first? Where's Marcel? How do I look? We're wired that way. So that means you as a leader and me as a leader and the people listening as a leader, you've got to make the choice to say, I'm going to have to reject the notion of thinking about myself and I've got to think about my team first. And when you do that and you inspire and you empower and you serve, you'll be on your way to elevating others. And that's the key to successful leadership today. Boom. I love that. I, I could end the interview right here, right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, John. Thanks. Um, what's going to stick out for me is to inspire is to breathe life into a person. And uh, that really, really resonates. <clears throat> what a powerful visual image, man. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, I even had to pause a little bit before my next question just just to get that visual. John, I ask this of uh, all my guests, and I see the opposing force that's pushing against love as fear. Mm. And so the question is always this, because I'm trying to build a case for why we, we need to remove fear from the workplace. Why is fear still so prevalent in how businesses are managed rather than the principles of love and discipline in your case, when we have so much evidence out there, right? That is so overwhelming that people that are under leaders who care and who empower and who inspire leads to high performance. And those that are under fear go the other way. Hmm. So why is fear so prevalent still? Because we have this thing in our brains called amygdala. And amygdala, it, what, it's literally in our brains to help us keep us safe. We're wired to pull back when we think harm's in our way. And so 
that means fear is naturally a part of who we are because if we're doing something we've never done, our natural instinct is to run to safety, to get away from it. So that's why it's prevalent because we're wired that way. And what it takes to overcome it is leaders that have courage. Yeah. Courage is being scared of something and decide to do it anyways. Think about that. We're going to go in a new market. It's scary. We've never done it before. We're going to have to have leaders to say, we've got to go take this step. And if it doesn't work, we're going to learn from it. Failure is not final. Failure is feedback. So we've got to have leaders that are courageous. Mm. I'm going to a lot of mentors today, but he said, John, your job is not to keep your kids safe, which is where the other side of fear. Your job is to make them courageous. And I think the same is true in, le- in leadership and organizations. Wow. We need people choosing courage, choosing to do things they've never done before. And on the other side of that might be the seeds that you're planting that produces great fruit. If we're fearful and we never plant those seeds, we're never going to know. Is there a good chance you fail? Yes, there is. But guess what? If we do, we're going to learn from it. We're going to do better next time. And so there's so many stories. I think to the CEO of Cowley Golf, which is an incredible company, and, and he's highlighted in the book. His name is Chip Brewer. This company was really struggling and everybody was fearful. They would come out with these average products and they just weren't good enough. And his second week on the job, they brought him this new three wood. And he just, without even thinking, he said, we're not taking this product to market. We're meant to build products that are demonstratively superior and pleasingly different. This does not meet that. And the only reason why these people weren't doing that is because they were fearful. And he said, we're going to have to go break things. We're going to have to go try new things, but we're going to create products that are demonstrative, superior, and pleasingly different. Callaway Golf is on its way to being the number one golf brand in the world right now mm-hmm. because he poured that belief into his people that you're good enough to create better products than this. Mm-hmm. And he knew that we're, they were going to have to fail to get there but they've done it and they continue to do it. And I love that question. Mm. John, you know it and I know it. Great leaders surround themselves with team of mentors. And you've already mentioned a few, but I want to kind of give a tribute to some of them. So who are they? Oh gosh, I've gotten, you know, it was amazing. I had all these people there last night at this book signing and I'm amazed how many men and women have walked in my life at various points that have helped pour into me. There's a guy that I would highlight Number one, his name is Bob Bowler. Bob Bowler is a 75-year-old, maybe 80-year-old guy at this point, and he runs the Special Olympics in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, he doesn't get paid for it. He's a volunteer. He doesn't have a child that had special needs. And this guy gives up every single week and weekend to go mentor and provide opportunity for kids in, in Special Olympics. It's from people my age, 40, 50 years old that do athletics. And I look to Bob and how he served this community for no other belief than because he knows it's the right thing to do. And what a great mentor to have in your life, to have as an example of someone that truly gives because it's the right thing to do. And uh, so that's one example. But I got, I tell people this all the time. You have to seek it out though. Yeah. You got to seek it. If you see somebody or you hear somebody that you want to learn from, that you want to grow from, go seek it out. It might not jump from zero to a hundred in one day, or it might take a year before you meet them, or you might have to listen to their podcast like they're listening to you right now for a year, but put the right message in so then you can go give the right message the other way. 
And I hope that your people will, will actively seek mentors that they want in their life because it will add so much value. Mm. Mm. Hey, let's talk about uh, failure. We've all failed at some point in our lives. What is your biggest failure? and What lesson did you learn? <laughs> about a month ago? No, I've failed a ton. <laughs> I mean, I, I failed a ton. I, and I still continue to. to uh, literally a month ago, I did a speaking engagement in New Jersey. And it was to a group of correction officers, uh, 70 correction officers in the New York, New Jersey area. I was like a comedian who bombed. <laughs> it was just wow. awful. And I felt terrible at the end. And I'm sure we, we highlighted some messages that, <laughs> that hit with some people. But we learned from it. We grew from it. And I had to do something the very next day. And I had to get right back up there and do it again. And it couldn't have gone better. Wow. I highlight that because... I mentioned it earlier, failure is not final, failure is feedback. And if you can get that in your mind, that we're going to learn from the mistakes that we make and we're not going to make them again, then you're on your path to growth and develop and adding value to the world. And so that's just one example. But Marcel, much like you, you know, there's so many things I've failed at. I fail as a dad every day. I fail as a leader of my own team every day. And I teach it. Mm. And that's what's amazing is you're never going to be perfect. You can chase perfection, but you're never going to be perfect. There was one man that was like that, and that's not me or you. And so give yourself some grace. Yeah. Give yourself some grace that you're not going to be perfect, but we're going to learn from the mistakes that we make, and we're going to go do it better next time. There's an old Latin saying that I just love on this particular topic. It's called nunc cepi, nunc cepi. And what nunc cepi stands for is now I begin. Hmm. Now think about that, Marcel, as someone that loves people and is trying to create change in organizations and in leaders. I don't really care how you've been doing up until this point. I don't really care how I did in that one particular event where I failed. What I care about is, can I get up the next day and say, now I begin. Now I'm going to go do it better. And that's the mentality that I want your listeners to take forward today. Now I begin. Let's start leading better right now. Mm, I love it. I love it. John, you're stuck in a desert island and you can only bring three books with you. Which leadership, not just any book, leadership books would you take with you? I think you can find leadership lessons in any book. So uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, there's a book called The Father's Tale that has made a tremendous impact on me as a dad. It's the longest book I've ever read. And I would definitely take that because it's taught me how to lead my kids really well. And it's a fable. It's an incredible story. Mm. I would take the father's tale. My favorite leadership book, I like anything Ryan Holiday writes. Ego is the enemy has been really big on my uh, leadership journey. So I, Stillness is the Key is his new book. I just love Ryan Holiday's work. And one that might surprise you. Rachel Hollis, who really primarily writes for women, I wrote a book called Girl, Wash Your Face. And I bought this book for my wife. <laughs> I ended up reading it and I just loved it. And it was very vulnerable. It was very authentic. And I appreciate that. It's helped me on my own leadership journey and when I speak. So those are three really good ones. But man, there's so many. I listen to almost all my books now so I can get through them faster. Yeah. And so I try to get through at least two to three a month. But yeah, there, if I looked up and down my Audible, I've got so many. Oh, there's a guy named Matthew Syed. Matthew Syed. Um, he wrote a book called Black Box Thinking. It is as good of a book as you'll ever listen to or read in your life. Mm. It is a fantastic read. So Black Box Thinking. 
Mm, thanks for the resources. We bring our episodes down to two questions, and here they are, John. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like our listeners to know? <laughs> That's a big question. I could go a lot. Right now, the biggest thing is how do leaders bring their faith to work? Mm. It's the biggest thing that whatever your faith perspective is, mine's being a believer in Christ, but I've been really a lot of our coaching clients, a lot of the work with our work we do with organizations, leaders are kind of struggling with that because people have different perspective and different belief systems. And that's been tugging at my heart. If you're a Christian, how do you bring that to work? What's the proper way? How do you infiltrate that? Or if not, if you're some other belief system, how do you bring those values to work? So that's something that's been really tugging on my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. It's a tough one. It's a very tough one. Mm. John, finally, you get to uh, end this episode your way with a takeaway or something that you'd like our listeners to walk away with that's going to make a difference in their lives? What is that one thing? You are good enough. And the most faithful win, like the most faithful win. I was driving to this conference last week and I heard Tony Bennett, the head basketball coach at Virginia. He was being interviewed and he said these words. He, his chaplain had told him that the most faithful win. And then he backed it up with a, a scripture, which is Galatians 6, 9, which is the premise behind it is that don't grow weary in doing good for in due time, you will reap the harvest if you do not give up. Mm. And I was just moved to tears, Marcel. I've never cried like that in my life. I mean, I don't know why. It was I was in a car by myself crying. I was like, what is going on with me? Am I like hitting menopause or something? But the reason why I say that to your listeners today is because whatever you are doing right now, you are good enough and do not give up. Like wherever you are right now, you're needed. And if you can do your best wherever you are right now to elevate other people, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do right now. And it can't just be one or two or three. We need an army of leaders out there elevating others and not giving up and not growing weary and doing good. And I hope that your listeners will do that today. You are a true model for great leadership. I so appreciate you opening your heart to us and being real and authentic. And you are fearless you're full of courage. So I just wanted to acknowledge that in you of that this made a difference in my life. I know it's going to make a difference in our listeners' lives as well. So uh, thanks so much for- I appreciate you having me on, man. And I appreciate all the work that you do. You're doing great things in the world and I know it. I've watched it for a while and I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's a mutual admiration thing going on here. So thank you for that. John, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Where do they go? Well, LinkedIn's the best place. That's where we share most of our stuff. John Eads on LinkedIn. You can go to buildingthebestbook.com. You can get the book wherever you get your books from. It would mean the world to me if you took the steps to do that. Do some stuff on Instagram too. So John G. Eads on social or John Eads on LinkedIn. Those are the best places. Excellent. All right, gang, stay tuned. I'm going to come back with my final thoughts. So here's what's on my mind after listening to that conversation and uh, having read John's book. You know, one of the biggest takeaways for me actually comes from chapter four of his book, and he titled it Build Real Bonds. So if you want to build trust as a leader or have a culture of trust, John says three things need to happen. One, you got to share your competence. Two, 
you got to show you care. And three, you got to expose your character. I love that. Share your competence, show that you care, and expose your character. So when those three things merge in the middle, you have trust. And we're in the relationship economy. So trust is the new currency for building relationships that lead to results. Thanks for listening, Love and Action Nation. This movement is growing, and I'm so happy that you're on board. So do us a favor, please. Share this or any other episode with a friend, and please leave us a positive rating and a review. Let's get the message out there to as many people as possible. Next week, I sit down and chat with Dave Mortensen co-founder and president of Self-Esteem Brands, which owns Anytime Fitness, the biggest co-ed workout gym on the planet. But you may know Dave and his business partner, Chuck Runyon, from having watched ABC's Secret Millionaire reality TV show. Until then, don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. Give it a try. Hey, Love and Action Nation, if you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at Marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.